Make room at your Thanksgiving table this November because America's Card Room is coming over. And we're bringing over $2.5 million guaranteed. From November 27th to December 6th, you'll find 76 killer events spread out over 10 days with buy-ins as low as 27 cents. And the best part? OSS5 has over $2.5 million in prize pools, including the $1 million guaranteed Million Dollar Sunday Tournament. You'll find satellites feeding into every single event, including the $1 million tourney, only at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 67 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account using one of the adverts or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. Just search OneOuter Podcast. If you want to send questions in for Alex on the next show, then email questions at OneOuter.com or tweet them or Facebook them to me and we'll definitely get them read out. Alex, how are you today? Better than I deserve. I don't. I, I've edited that out, so people. Will, I'll leave this one in, so people will be like, "What? What's he laughing at?" You know. <laughs> what a weird. What a weird. Yeah. yeah, it's not been in any other show, and you're just like, "Man, I <laughs> You're like, uh, "Sorry." It sounds like I committed a crime over the weekend or something. If you just leave it in there. No, but, but no, man, I'm good. Thank you for asking. How you doing? I am. I'm good. I'm good. I I caught on Facebook that you had quite a good weekend uh, at the tables. Was it the weekend? I think it was Sunday, wasn't it? I was. Uh, it was Tuesday. Uh, that Tuesday. Sorry. Yeah. You well, know, my my office. whole days have been screwed since I I was away at the weekend and I got back and literally yesterday I thought was Tuesday. You know, I've been like a day. I don't know why. I, yeah, I know only that too. It was only an hour flight, but I, this whole week, I even today when I woke up, I was like. It's Thursday, a podcast. Like I got the reminder on my phone. I just, I've been convinced that it's a day past. I don't know what's happened. I know, what. I know that yeah. feeling. Well, it, it's been weird for me because, like, the normally every day I have like one or two lessons, and that's a pretty good reminder of what day it is because, uh, you know, you just remember you had this one on Monday, you had this one on Tuesday. I've been like randomly having days I just have nothing and then the next day I have like four hours and then it's like, yeah, I get really off track. But yeah, uh, Tuesday I uh, I won the 25K Euro guaranteed on iPoker and I took second in the $30,000 guaranteed on uh, on America's Card Room and I final tabled the $10,000 Tornado but it didn't last that long. Uh, I went out ninth, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was a really good day, which is, uh, you know, it's it's good. You got to kind of, you got to be consistent now. It's just so ex- expensive with all these thousand dollar tournaments, six hundred dollar tournaments, and uh, you just got to really be on. Like, so it, it was, you know, it, it's. I always say this, and people think it's weird, but it's an honor to like still be in the game because the average. Uh, the average poker player lasts about, you know, three out, uh, three hours, three years, you know. So to still be doing this after ten years is really uh, it's something. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, obviously you experienced a real bad bit of variance, only a first and a second. You couldn't get the two first. <laughs> but uh, right. you run so bad. Yeah, but yeah. Do you, do you still take time to, like, even like after all the games and years you've played and stuff, it's still fun to sit and play two final tables. I assume at the same time. Oh, yeah. Or, or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like... I remember the first final table I ever made online. I was in a, I was in high school. I was 17 years old. I think I was playing till like four in the morning or something like that, and it was a school day, and uh, so I had to like go to bed and then like wake up like an hour and a half later. But I'll, I'll never forget. I won four hundred dollars, and that I I I don't know, man. Like that four hundred dollars like doesn't feel. Like when I won the W group, I I don't think it felt nearly as good because you know four hundred dollars at that time was still like my salary at Arby's after two weeks of working forty hours a week. You know what I mean? And to make that in one night from a five dollar buy-in just kind of felt like science fiction. And yeah, like I I, I remember like shaking at the final table in the <laughs> yeah like the fight the final hand, like, I, I bet with ace nine high because I thought I could get the guy to fold. Also, I'll never forget this on the flop in the turn. And then on the river, the flush draw came in. He checked to me, and I checked the eye, and he had the flush draw, and that kind of, like, sunk me. And I remember thinking, like, but, du- dude, like, you knew the ace nine high was good, you know? And then that, that uh-huh. was kind of the that, that was kind of the impetus. That was when I realized, you know, like, maybe I can do this for a living. And, uh, you know, of course, everybody at that time, like I've been playing, I've been playing like live games for years and like pretty much everybody just killed me. Like I was, I was kind of like the laughing stock of a lot of these games. Like not, not like, uh, you know, not like people like went out of their way to make, I mean, there were a few people that made fun of me pretty harshly, but not, not that many. Right. But like, I, I just couldn't win like at live. Like I, I, I just, you know, I kind of, like, hustled around, and, like, sometimes I'd make a little money, and then I'd lose, but, like, I was never really doing anything, and then, like, uh, yeah, and then online, I was like, woo, I can make this, and, yeah, to this day, like, uh, you know, when I make a couple final tables, especially with this Twitch uh, thing, like, you know, you got, like, 500 people watching, right, like, that's, that's pretty exciting, you know what I mean, and then it it promotes everything else, like, I, I just, uh, I, I just opened a studio here in Costa Rica. Like, we got the logo done and everything, you know. We have, like, churches coming through and recording and people doing their radio shows and stuff like that. And it's like, if I wasn't a poker player, like, with a following, even in Costa Rica, I don't know if we'd, you know, if we'd be getting the business like we're getting. And, like, one of my buddies had a really good rap battle, and I, I wanted to get him more views because I thought it was kind of, like, criminal how few views he had on his video and I was just saying like on the Twitch stream like everybody click on this link right you know you get you don't have to watch it right now you can watch it later right and uh yeah we like almost doubled his views on the video by the end of the night so it was you know it's it's more like a party now and yeah it's uh I just like to win man I just like to I like to grind I like to uh I really like to listen to talk radio and listen to hip-hop albums and watch like American football and like play poker. Like I, I, I can't believe that's my job. You know what I mean? And I got this, uh, I got this Evernote application on my, 
Uh, have you ever heard of this, Barry? Ever know? Yeah, yeah, Tim Ferriss again. Oh, yeah. is that is that Ferriss? <laughs> oh man, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. hey, I haven't been following that fool as much as I should. I mean, apparently he knows everything before I do. One of my students got me on it. He showed me how he could work it, and I was like, ooh, like. And then yeah, I've been now like when I listen to like talk radio when I'm like playing poker, it's like, ooh, that's a good idea for this, and it's like, well, you know, just open my phone, I'll write it real quick. Now it's saved in fifty different places. All right, sweet. Whereas before, like, uh, I don't know, you could see me on the videos before, like I would lift like you know like twenty papers, and they were like my notes on poker hands. They were you know, like notes on stuff I heard and then like stuff I've written down. And then, yeah, it was kind of <laughs> it was a little more awkward. But, yeah, I'm having having a lot of fun, man. I'm a, Yeah, I still have fun with it. The thing that was cool with Evernote was you can literally take a photograph of a, like receipt yeah. or something. Yeah, and yeah. And then you can search the word and it will find it on the image. That's like, so recognition. Sick. That's it insane. Even, I, even, even handwriting and stuff as well. That's I pretty think, absurd. But. Yeah, I should pr- really yeah. start doing that. I've started keeping track of, uh, like, all the money I spend every day. That is really eye-opening. Like, mm-hmm. because you know what I mean. Like, you make, you know, you don't make a lot of money at MTTs anymore, but, like, you make good money. If you, I mean, if you've been doing this for, like, 10 years like I have, like, maybe you can, you know what I mean? And then... You just, you kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. I'll get a meal here, $20. I'll get a meal there. You know what I mean? I'll buy, I'll buy like, oh, yeah, I want a couple of books. I'll buy a couple of books. You know, money is never really that much of an object, right? And then you, like, look at the end of the day, and it's like, you know, I spent $1,000 on this crap over the last, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, that's where all the money's going. Like, yeah. yeah. It mounts up. It's just living. Yeah, it's exactly, like, exactly. No. And, and what what people forget is that your bills don't stop either. You know, no. it's like every month you got the same, like, as in it was the monthly nut, they call it in America, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. It was that, that comes whether you're in your bed for 30 oh, days or well whether you're working really hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, that was, uh, Nobody's gonna. Uh, I hope nobody catches what I just said. But uh, anyway, uh, well done. No, no, not that. No, yeah. Well, I always tell people. People are like, man, I wanna, I wanna quit my job. Uh, I wanna, you, you, I wanna be a professional poker player, man. I wanna do what you do. I, I don't wanna have a boss. I'm like, I have plenty of bosses. You know what they're called? Heat, electric, water, mortgage, mother's rent. Uh, like there's a, you know there's a lot of different bosses I have and just like you said they don't stop coming it's I'm really happy though recently like I uh I got I got a lot of my costs down I paid off a, enough of my house where like my like my monthly <laughs> this is bizarre dude like to give you the idea an idea of how different the economic situations are between these two countries Costa Rica is like pretty first world right but my mortgage payment now here after I've paid down like half the house is like half. Uh, it, it's it, it's like half what I was paying before, obviously. I, I don't know why I said that word. But like my rent when I moved to a dump in Seattle in 2006 uh, was about the same price. So like, you know, I have that like every month and I have, you know, you got to obviously feed everybody and I got my mo- mother to look after. But I, I was realizing recently, like, this isn't that much, like, every month. And then, 
you know, and I, it, it, but if I was in the States, man, it would just be like so much. I'd be, I'd be just dying, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like, it'd be so stressful. I was, my new goal right now is like before what I was doing was I, I was recording the scoop and W coop sessions because I knew something like Twitch was going to come along. And when that happened, you know, that, that market was going to be gone. But, you know, we sold hundreds of those videos at 50 bucks a pop. And, like, you know, that really helped me out. And then, you know, Twitch came and there, there went that market. But now what I'm going to try to do, I think, is just, like, write ebooks and see, like, you know, if you can pick up royalties every month. Like, maybe at some point you can get to the point you're just paying your bills. And then, you know, after that, you can take whatever money you make elsewhere and then, like, invest in, in other businesses and stuff. I don't know, man. I got plans. I want to open a cafe here. That's my other idea. I want to open a cafe with a lending library because I want more people to read here. <laughs> I don't know, like they, they, uh, because they, they're all very literate here. Like they all can read really well, but it's just not, it's not like a culture for that. You know what I mean? Like in Seattle, one of the things that really helped me is like everybody reads, you know what I mean? They're, they are snobs, but they're, they're pretty well educated snobs, you know? So it was like being able to go to a cafe and there was like, you know, it was just like a thousand free books you could pick out was like really helpful to me and like really changed my life. And yeah, it'd be cool to set up something like that here. But yeah, anyway, all right. I guess we should. Uh, I guess we should talk to the people about some poker, huh, Barry? But well, well, firstly, you made me watch Event Horizon. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I watched that for the first time. Yeah, it was it was good. Ah, uh, you got the eh eh. Yeah, yeah. Some of it I thought like. This plot has went a little bit. Oh, uh, cuckoo! You know. Yeah, yeah just even, I, I, I know it's science fiction. I know it's in like twenty fifty seven or whatever it's set and stuff. But yeah, some of it was just a little bit. And Sam Neill was. I just recently watched him in uh, Omen Three. You know, oh, wow. so I was like, it was when it was Halloween time. So it was kind of like, yeah, okay, let's watch. You know, Damien start again. Oh, really? But, I, um, I didn't know he did like another movie. That was part of the charm to me. To that movie was like Sam Neill is kind of like to me. He feels like your grandfather. You know what oh, I mean? He's, he's Doctor Doctor Alan Grant. Yeah, he's Doctor Alan Grant. Grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's like, he, he has a very very like gentlemanly voice in a brogue and then like it even comes through with his american accent i i, I think it's hilarious right and then like yeah he just feels like your grandfather gently scolding you and then all of a sudden he's like yeah like uh <laughs> things kind of go off the rails in event horizon to to put it well, lightly. Uh, yeah but like in in omen 3 he plays damien the antichrist and uh <laughs> He, he, you know, there's a full like uh, anal sex scene, you know, with a, <laughs> like a woman, like he plays. So yeah, I kind of look at him different from the guy in Jurassic Park now. I'm glad, I'm glad I saw Omen Three after Jurassic Park, you know. Yeah, that uh, would have ruined it. It's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. I shouldn't laugh. I just, I can't believe the stuff people put into movies, man. Like I just can't imagine the board meeting. Yeah, and uh, you know, for Act Three, Scene Two, I, I was hoping for an anal rape scene. It like, uh, come again, <laughs> come again. <laughs> like, well, no, no, no one's gonna do that. No, no, no. Like, what, what, uh, what do you want to do? Like, and then yeah, I, I can't. actually, technically, it's, it's, it's. I think it's just. Without without getting to it, I mean, this is an over eighteen show, really. You should be over eighteen and gambling and stuff. But yeah, it, it's 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 
it's pushed in my mind it's an anal an anal oh, okay. it, it could just be from behind you know yeah. <laughs> okay. you, you sound like me when i was watching skinamax as a kid i just always you know you're like 12 years old you always assume when they're in that position like really <laughs> <laughs> She's doing yeah, it, I guess. Basic instinct as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. That happens there, yeah. yeah. Any, anyway, um, yeah, let, let's clean it up a little bit. But I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was relevant. You know, we, <laughs> it's pretty well. <laughs> I would have never solved my check raising range without the discussion. <laughs> but, of Omen 3. Yeah, yeah. Was it or wasn't it? You know? Okay. Uh, so yeah, Event Horizon was good. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I watched because we, we, it's good to throw the films in now as well, like a little recommendation for yeah, people films before we get into the questions. And uh, trying to think of what I watched, Fargo season two. I'm really enjoying that. That oh, is that's good. fantastic. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. That's good. Uh, we already talked about Narcos. I don't think I really I watched any other films actually. I, I can't. I can't. Uh... I don't know. I need to start watching more television. I just realized the new Homeland is out, and I should watch that. Because just because, you know, typical American. I like the, I liked Homeland though before the world went into flames. You know what I mean? Like it's like now you watch that show, it's like ooh. You know what I mean? And then uh, well oh I saw what was it Mockingjay Part Two yesterday. You see that? I've not I've not seen any of those Hunger Games. Oh my I've god! Seen- it's actually. The I, I read the books because they were like really short reads, right? And I really enjoyed the first one. The first one's a total ripoff of Battle Royale, which is it's like the Hunger Games, but it's really comical and it's in Japan. And it happened like it came out ten years before the Hunger Games, and it's a mm-hmm. uh, I mean I, I don't know. It looks like a fighting game, right? Like you know, there's like kids in like school uniforms like ru- running around like with like. Uh, you know, chain mail and stuff like that, trying to kill each other. And it's like, it, it sounds weird, but it's actually a pretty funny movie, like in yeah. a lot of different spots. And then there's, you know, there's super serious moments, but like, uh, yeah, you know, she had a good idea, which was, I'm going to make this serious and put this in some like dystopian setting. And the first book was like, uh, the first book, like I just saw it on sale and I read it and it was like really good. And I was like, cool, I'm going to read the others. And they sucked. But like the movies are, like decent but like oh man i love costa rican audiences first off they they, they never shut up during any movie they're all re- since they're reading the subtitles they assume everybody else can read the subtitles and it's like i can read the subtitles but i i'd prefer to be able to hear myself think you know yeah. like while i'm watching and then but it was so funny because they they like really try to like wedge in this like twilight story in there like oh two guys like her and she doesn't know which one she likes and during every line of that horrible dialogue when they engage that plot the costa ricans were just dying laughing they were just like this is so stupid you could hear them all yelling like and i was like it it made the movie way more enjoyable to me i was like because those scenes like drive me nuts and instead they're just it's a, it was like seeing it with your buddies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just uh, <laughs> she doesn't know which one to pick. Why is she like? I can't. I, I don't want to give away anything. Or uh-huh. what? What was the? Oh, what was the line of dialogue? She never kissed me the way she did, and the, <laughs> the, the way uh-huh. she kissed her it's like, and you could just hear the crowd crack up, dude. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, it was amazing. The one of my favorite video movie going experiences ever was. In like Little Havana, I saw like a, 
uh, I saw like paranormal activity with like 300 Cubans and they were just clowning that movie nonstop <laughs> from start to finish. But then when it got scary, everybody shut up. Right. Yeah. Like, and it was, oh my God, it was a blast. But yeah, I, I was, I had an experience like that last night. All right. I guess we should get into some poker. Po- yeah. Let's get into it. Um, all right. First question this week is from Tobias. And we got, hey guys, love the show. Excuse my poor English. I got a question about staking. What's your advice on played, played stake or on your, playing staked or on your own dime? Broad question, I know, so let's be more specific. I've never played staked before. My goal is to make it to the high stakes MTTs. At the moment, I'm playing 180s and MTTs. I've never played staked before. Um, my goal is to make it up to $11. Several years, I've had a hard time to build up a decent bankroll because poker has been part of my income. Now I study on university, though I don't have to withdraw as much money from poker. Even though I withdraw a couple of hundred bucks on occasions, it does lead to the bankroll take some hits. I try to study poker as much as possible and always improving. I guess my real question is, is it worth it to apply for a stake just to be able to play in higher buy-in tournaments? Or shall I continue on my own dime and take the slow and steady wins the race approach? Because if I get good enough, I'll reach the higher stakes anyway someday in the future. Kind regards, Tobias. Uh, typically, typically it's not usually a good idea. Like, I ruined my career as a kid. Like, uh, like at 19, I had a lot of money, and I was doing really well. And, you know, I was playing like $50 tournaments, $100 tournaments, and occasionally a little bit, bit bigger. I was making really good money because I was probably – overqualified for it at that time and then you know everybody said oh man you're a boss and you know every day you play you're at a final table you got to move up to high stakes so I took a backing deal and uh yeah it was just it, it was very frustrating I wasn't ready for it it was very difficult uh I I think you don't want to like leapfrog stakes uh when you're playing poker you really want to Make sure you know what you're doing before you move up on any case, right? So uh, I, when you're taking a stake uh, right now, uh, I, I think like usually taking a stake is good if, you're, if you need money like for your family and you have some savings. I don't think if you have savings that you really should consider getting staked because what seems to always happen when somebody gets staked and they don't have savings is – if they get into makeup, they start asking the backer, like, hey, I need money. Because in the old days, like, if you were losing, you could just withdraw a couple hundred bucks and you were fine. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not going to be an option if you're backed by someone. So a lot of times uh, a horse is going to say, like, hey, man, I need something uh, to keep playing. And, like, I-, I can tell you from the backer's perspective, that's infuriating. My job is not to pay your bills, you know, like my, it, you know. And then – uh uh, a, a lot of time, uh, that that's like your responsibility, you know what I mean, to have money set aside before you get into the backing contract. For that reason, uh, by the way, everybody pay attention to my Twitter, like at the Assassinato, because I will, I, I'm writing a book about poker backing. It's a, it's aside from the book I'm doing from DMB Publishing. I'm publishing it with uh, my buddies, like self-publishing imprint in Germany. But like uh, me and him have been backing people for like 
six, seven years. I like, I largely got out of the business because I'm just not into it. Uh, I just, it's a lot of work for very little money. And I I think my, uh, I I think my allocation could be put somewhere else. Uh, my time allocation could be put somewhere else, but, uh, uh, I, I hold on. Okay. Trying to figure out why my poodle is whining. It's driving me nuts, man. Hold up. And, uh, yeah, uh, so, but, like, typically I think what the best option is for the horse is to, uh, uh, I, I think is to sell pieces of themselves. If you guys want to see a webinar about this, go to Google and write MTT Market Alex Fitzgerald webinar. It should be, like, fourth or fifth on the list. There's going to be a lot of posts ahead of that, like, describing uh, what the webinar was about, like when we were hyping it for people. Uh, you pick it, like, uh, you know, you can watch it on YouTube. And it really breaks it down how, like, the, it, if a guy has a negative ROI, he can still make money uh, if he sells pieces of himself. Because if you have a markup, uh, you can just pocket it. And there's lots of guys, like, uh, it, there's lots of guys that understand that a lot of the profit comes in like $20 and $50 tournaments. And however, they just don't have the time to play so many of them. So they would rather like hire somebody else to pay them for them. And you can pay them a little fee for their time. You know, it might just be a couple of bucks to the backer, but like if you collect that on every tournament you play times a couple thousand, it's going to be, you know, it, it becomes a pretty, uh, it becomes a pretty staggering amount of, uh, 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 money at the end of the day. And, uh, if you win on top of that, you get to keep that. So that's usually my, my advice as far as like moving up, what you want to do is typically be selling pieces. If you're going to take a backing contract, I'd recommend you have some savings or you're living with your parents. So you don't really need as much as far as expenses. Uh, but you don't want to be in a situation where you're going to need to cash out regularly because oftentimes that's not going to happen, especially if you move up in stakes. So you want to put yourself in a position where you can do really well under the stake by having savings. So I, and it's also good if you can find a stake where the guy can educate you. Like a lot of, uh, a, a lot of backers do do that. You should always realize, by the way, if you get a stake, this is something I wasn't realizing until I was writing the book, but like the horse always has a positive expectation. Like even a negative ROI uh, player has a positive expectation underneath the stake because he could get lucky and win something. And if he loses, he's not liable for the losses. So uh, it, you're always getting a good deal. I'm really perturbed a lot of the times when I hear these horses go like, man, it's, it's really hard for me to like play and not get paid something. I, I really need something month to month. I need him. I thought I was going to get coached. I was like, it's like, well, the, you know, the backer is taking all the risk and gets 50% of the money. I, I don't know why you think you're so special that you need to also on the side, get your bills paid and be taught. If, if a backer ever offers to do that stuff for you, that is one of the kindest people you can imagine and you should really be grateful for that. And uh, it, you, uh, if you get into a stable like Pokar or something like that, that uh, is willing to teach you every month, like do webinars. And a lot of times, like uh, their their investors will do like personal lessons with the person. Uh, like you should really be grateful and not be, you know, if 
it, it, this is another thing I've always wanted to say to people. It's like people are like, I can't pay my bills. It's like, get a job. You know what I mean? I had a job when I couldn't support myself from poker. Most of the people that are backing you probably did, or they lived with their parents so they wouldn't need a job. You know, you got yourself into that situation. I, I don't know why you think, you know, that suddenly the, I hear this all the time, like, oh, the backer's not supporting me. That's why I got into makeup. And it's like, well, no, man. Like, by the way, I'm not backing anybody right now, so I don't have like a, I don't, I don't have a horse in this race. But like, it, I always hear that, and it's like, man, you're just trying to find excuses to make it the backer's fault, so you can eventually justify leaving makeup. That's pretty, that's pretty whack. You know what I mean? But yeah, I would uh, on, on your own dime. Uh, the problem with going on your own dime is like you're really susceptible to variance, and uh, the the randomness is very pronounced these days, just because of. Uh, the better quality of player there is out there. So again, I would really recommend uh, you sell some pieces. Yeah, it, it sort of all comes down to your personal circumstances, doesn't it? Uh, like, yeah, like that's a point. That, yeah. Like what what's right? Because ideally, you should be playing for a hundred percent of your time all all the time. Really, right? You if know? you can, yeah. Yeah, if you can. But then, obviously, like you say, you're open to variance. But would you say it's more rewarding though, as well, to like? do that climb up and down yourself and like you say like, i remember people used to just always think that like money's the issue like oh if only I, someone would stake me in like a big cash game it's like you, you you're not winning ready, yeah. you're not winning at 100 nl yeah just it's like that old thing like move up to where they respect your raises you know like people think that they can right they've got this right to like oh the reason i'm not winning is because everybody calls me all the time or right. you know and stuff like that and you know what gives you the right to think you can beat a higher stake when you can't beat lower stakes like like you say you can't sort of skip the skip the levels right right and i i like i i personally like for me i hate owing people money like i uh sorry i just adjusted the mic and it fell but like uh <laughs> hold on one second no like uh, uh like yeah i mean if I wanted to play, like, as high-stakes tournaments as I play, like, I have to accept, like, financial assistance from somewhere else. But, like, I hate owing people money. And I enjoyed my job quite a bit more when I was playing, like, 50s and 20s and stuff. You know what I mean? And, like, uh, that doesn't mean I was making as much money. But, like, it, it doesn't uh, – well, I mean, and even then, like, you can go for, like, two, three years, you know, when you're playing high stakes, like, just without a big win, you know what I mean? Then you win, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and people are like, oh, man, did you buy a boat? Did you, like – like, what did yeah. you do, you know? And it's like, well, no, man, I pay back my makeup. Like, that. that's it. Like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm happy it happened, but, like, it's not – it doesn't really end up being much of anything. It's like you can play lower stakes. Like a lot of the guys I know who made the best money play at like weird hours. They play on like different sites. They, uh, they play like smaller tournaments. You know what I mean? The guys who play high stakes, I can tell you how many high stakes guys are broke. You know what I mean? But a lot of the guys who got up there on their own do pretty well, you know, but yeah, they had to save a lot of money and they, those are the kind of people that really respect like grinding it out at like the lower stakes like you said a lot of people think they're just gonna like uh hurdle and get into the higher stakes and that's gonna be it no man like everybody i know makes a lot of money plays a lot at the lower stakes like almost to fund their high stakes adventures and to see what's gonna happen but 
a lot of like the <clears throat> a lot of the people that I know are who are backed are like I don't want to play a lower six tournament, man. I'll have to win like you know, I won't even get anything. I'm in 60k makeup. What is a 4k win going to do for me? It, they don't realize like that's what's going to get them in a 100k makeup, a 150k makeup, you know? Just like never piling up those little wins to like break down their makeup. And then yeah, you you, you just don't really have respect for like what it took. Yeah, it's that quote you were you were saying there, like when you win two hundred k, like people are like, oh, did you buy a boat and stuff like that? Yeah, that remind, reminds me, I can't remember who did it. They won like two million, and someone said to them, uh, like, oh, what are you going to do with all the money? And he's like, well, I'm going to pay off, uh, pay off some some debt. And then they went, and what are you going to do with the rest? And they went, oh, they'll just have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I can't remember who it was maybe like Puggy Pearson or one of these that's old a, school guys it's like it was so true you know that's pretty, like, that's pretty funny that's pretty yeah but also like what you're saying there's a big thing for playing off yourself just in terms of mentally yeah. as well like I'd, al- I'd always rather make 20k a year working for myself than 40 working for someone else right, you know like right. and I, I mean like the, the problem I see is like everybody has a problem like the entitled kids have a problem because a lot of guys like come into poker because like they were the really smart kids in school like I, I remember they used to call they they had a special class called tag talented and gifted in my uh uh, in my school. And it was like, you know, the message is you are gifted. You have a gift. You know, it, the, the sense is you have it. And, uh, a lot of people don't even think it's like you can work to become more intelligent because at a very young age, you're told you either have it, this gift, or you do not have it. Yeah. And yeah. if you're in the regular school, you know, if you're doing pretty well, well, I remember, like, the tag kids, I don't think, like, really did much of anything except for sit around and smell each other's farts. Like, they they sure didn't seem a whole lot brighter than us. And then, like, in normal class, if you were, like, a smart kid, like, the teacher, like, just doted on you. And then, you know, you you got done with your homework really quickly. And instead of getting, you know, more rewarding work or, like, challenging work or something that could push you for, further... They just said, like, oh, just go sit in the corner, like, go talk to your friends quietly. And, you know, the message was, you're smart, you're special, uh, you didn't have to do anything to work to get it, you were just born that way. And uh, the way we reward smart people in uh, our country is you don't have to do anything uh, to be rewarded. You will just go to the next grade, you will get great things in life because you are smart. Then these people like get to college and they find out nobody really cares how smart you are, and uh, you still got to turn in uh, like really good papers or something like that, right? Or they go into the more often it's they go into the working world. And the working world could not care less like how bright you are. It's more like can you produce something for someone? And uh, they find out pretty quickly like you know they've been lied to now. They can either turn around their life and start working hard, which, by the way, to them means they're an admission. They're, that's an admission to them they're dumb, because remember, only the dumb kids had to work hard in school. And, uh, or they can go to poker and hope to win a lot of money without doing much work and confirm they're still smart. And uh, those kind of entitled people, when they get into backing relationships, they move up and then when they lose... You know, for some reason, it's the backers' fault. I, I, I had a guy 
tell me he didn't want to pay me back my makeup because I, I just stopped supporting him. He, it, like, he, he said this to my face. He said, like, I, I don't feel like I owe you this makeup just because, like, you know, you weren't a part of my life is essentially how he put it. Like, I, I just, I, I wasn't paying his car payments. And uh, for some reason, he, that constituted a lack of uh, support and that, that voided his makeup. And I was like, good, you know, I, I'm... I, I'm, I find it very interesting you found a uh, answer that, you know, uh, absolves you of responsibility. You, you seem to find those quite often, right? And I left, mm. it, I left it like that. I was like, I'm not going to pursue it. And then, like, the good kids have a problem uh, just because, uh, like, good kids who hate owing people money, they feel like every time they play poker, it's possible they're going to owe more money to their friends. So they feel like they're taking like their backers money and every time they lose. So like they just end up not wanting to play because they're so afraid to take more money from this nice person that gave them a stake. So what I see is poker backing is really bad for a lot of different people. I can even say like myself, like, uh, you know, I have a very wealthy friend that, uh, puts me in some of these higher stakes games and, uh, you know, we have an arrangement and, uh, you know, the fish haven't been biting lately and like, I don't want to take his money, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, man, let me roll in my online action, which, you know, used to be my own, right? And I'll get you this money back, right? But then that kind of becomes debil debilitating, you know, because it's like, oh, now I'm not, you know, I'm not really getting much off of, like, my online yeah. stuff, right? But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to take my friend's money, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, it starts out like, ha-ha, fun, you know? Oh, you want to play the Bellagio Cup? Yeah, man, hold up, I got, I got a... Uh, I can't remember. I, I was going to sound real cool and remember the slang terms they have. The Bellagio Cherry? Is it called it? No, Cherry's 100,000. I don't remember. But flags, flags. Flags, flags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, <clears throat> but like literally to this dude, it's one ship. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, here's $10,000. Go play in the game, kid. I know you're mm -hmm. plus EV. And I know intellectually I'm plus EV in that tournament, right? I was sitting at the table with like some nincompoops at some of these 10Ks I play with. But, like, you know, intellectually, I know that. But at the end of the day, when I lose, like, I'm going to do 90% of the time. That's still $10,000. And then, like, you know, you add a couple of them up, and it's like, I owe this guy who's, like, one of my best friends, like, $40,000 or something like that. You know what I mean? And he's, like, he's all cool. He's like, yeah, the next time you play live, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you pay back. You know what I mean? But it's like, I, I'm, I'm not going to accept that. You know what I mean? That's not cool. You know what I mean? Like, just to... Because I hate it when people take advantage of me, you know what I mean? I don't want to take advantage of him. So it's yeah. like, you know, for good people and bad people, it's really hard to make money at a poker stick. It's very rare you find that sweet spot. And that's what the book I'm writing, I'm writing it with a friend of mine who's like probably one of the best like analytical, mathematical minds I know. Obviously not from the States if we're talking about prowess and math. He's German. But like, uh, it, it's, it, I, I, I think it's going to be really good. We're going to... We're going to, like, give it out to, like, backing stables and stuff like that. So uh, be sure to look out for that one. Okay. And uh, the, ne the next question is from Mark. Yeah, Mark. Hello, boys. Loving the podcast. Still working my way through lots of your early episodes. Anyway, I would like to know what you think about short stack play. So 10 to 15 big blinds in my mind. But more so when there are two tables left or even near a final table bubble. What should I be considering when in a short stack position here? Purely ICM and shoving ranges, or what other factors? Thanks. Uh, something that really helped me 
understand the shorts that game well. I used to have to do this by hand, and it was actually very difficult. And if you see why Pisegno is right, you can kind of see, like, my methodology as far as, like, uh, doing it by hand. Uh, now you don't even need to do that. Some of the simplest calculations you can do are with uh, Cardrunner's EV. Cardrunner's EV to, like, set up, like, a raised fold spot. Uh, to set up, like, a raised fold spot is incredibly easy. And all you've got to do is copy and paste the hand history. And, like, if you already raised in there, you can just put there and check, check the action check. All you've got to do is enter the analysis of, like, what percentage of the hands the guy's playing. Bye, baby. Have a good day. That wasn't for you, Barry. Barry. Yes, see you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> see you, baby. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it, like, that, that stuff really was interesting to me because also uh, if you take, like, a screenshot of, like, the stack distribution and the prize pool at that time, you can enter all that in Cardrunner's EV. It's really a fantastic program. And you can find out if, like, ICM-wise, you should be race-folding into someone who's playing, like, 20 25% of their hands. And there's a lot of times you'll find you can. Now, uh, the thing is, though, today, uh, that, that's maybe, like, 20% of the players that really, like, uh, fold their big blind or they move all in. Uh, in the old days, it used to be, like, 90% of the players, right? So I was really big on this, like, race-folding uh, game, which was uh, a really big part of why Pisegna was right. But when I updated up why Pisegno was right, uh, I had to include a lot, of, a lot of data on when people are flatting you. When people are flatting you, you're, you're going to have to look. If you see that people like just do not fold their big blind, you have to make sure they're not three-betting all the time. And then you've got to take a look at, do they fold the C-bets? If they fold the C-bets, uh, you know, happy days. Uh, uh, usually, if you raise to 2.5x, not really if you raise to 2x. If you raise to 2x, pretty much... Uh, I'm pretty sure my Maltese could uh, find a way to turn a profit out of the big blind as long as she called and then, like, you know, when she saw the cards match, she put something in. Uh, but, like, uh, 2.5x is a lot more difficult to make prof profitable. So uh, I, I would just, uh, you know, I would raise the 2.5x and C-bet versus the people who prolifically fold. Fold to C-bet's like 60% or something like that, 55 Remember, it tends to go up out of position because the person just completed, so they have a very wide range, and they're also out of position, and they've just checked to you. So it, it's a little more likely that they're check folding than, you know, if they flatted with uh, 9% of their hands in the cutoff or something like that, where, where, that, uh, where, where that statistic was taken from. So uh, you're probably, you know, if you see like a fold to C-bet of like 50% or higher, that's a really good sign, and you could raise and C-bet into that. Uh, with 10 to 15 X, this is not going to be possible nearly as much as you'd like. So what you're going to generally have to do is get really good with, like, the jam fold numbers. I recommend that uh, – I, I, this is probably something, like, I, I, work, I, I think I outwork most of my opponents, but, like, with the jam folds, like, I, I never – like, you need to be doing a lot of those. Like, you should be doing those, like, every day. I tend to be okay with them, but, like – I, I really think, like, every day you should just pick, like, five spots where you weren't sure if you should have jammed or fold. And you should get Hold'em Resources or ICMizer 2 or uh, Cardrunner's EV and just kind of, like, solve it out. ICMizer 2 tends to be the fastest one, I've noticed. Uh, so, and uh, if you guys, uh, you know, if you guys write me at assassinatecoaching.gmail.com, I know most of these wholesalers 
uh, just because I feature their products in my videos and we get, you know, they reach out to me and we talk and I, I can likely get you guys a deal on something. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, you really should, uh, you, essentially what your schematic is, is if you see the people fold the steel a lot, big blindfold the steel, small blindfold the steel, that kind of stuff, you put it together, you should consider raise folding. Uh, if you have a few more chips, you can consider raising if they just call and then fold the C-bets. And if they don't do that stuff, you should get really good at a, you should get really good at jam fold. And also a, a real interesting thing that I've done a lot of work on is like, when is it the same profitability to raise fold as it is to jam? And in those situations, I've typically just raise folded. Like there's a lot of times like with 17X and like you have like ace deuce offsuit, like raise folding will be about the same profitability as just jamming, right? I can't think of a time I've call, been called with 17X with Ace Deuce off, and I went, sweet. So, like, this is pretty preferable. You know, even if, like, the guy somehow is a king-queen, he still has a 46% shot uh, to take me out of the tournament. So I would prefer to go from 17 to 15X uh, than to go from 17 to 0X the majority of the time and some of the time go from 17X to 35X. So a lot of times I really work on that raise folding stuff. And it's a, a I mean, I, I can't tell you how difficult this stuff is still f for me. This is why I, it always befuddles me to hear poker players that it's like, yeah, duh, standard. It's like, that's such a defense mechanism because this is like as recently as a few days ago, I was working on this because I still like, ah, you know, not raising enough there. I'm not, I'm not jamming enough here. I, I jam probably too much there. And it's like, it's a, it, it does constantly adjust. I, it, 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 you know, there's obviously like there, there will be jams and stuff you'll always do that'll make a profit, but you won't know when uh, other stuff is more profitable unless you really do the work. Yeah, no, a lot of it as well, like from the tone of the guy's question when I, when I first read it, I, I was thinking, you know, you've got to remember as well, like Alex, you touched on it in your, to, to plug your newsletter, and I read it, um, you know, um, about going through big fields and stuff. Like, if you're sitting with 10 or 15 big blinds with like 18 players left or something, it's possible you've just lost a big hand or, you know, that's left right. you in that position. But you've still got like tons of equity at that stage of the tournament. Like, if you double up, you got 20, 22 big blinds. And then, right. you know, it's like, that's going to happen in tournaments, so a little bit of its mentality as well, isn't it? Just sort of like not being like just throwing your chips in sort of thing. Right, right, exactly. It's a, a lot of it's the mental game, trying to, I, I mean, just really enjoy the fact that you're playing poker and you're not, you, you're not dying in Syria as overly dramatic as that yeah. sounds. Yeah. But like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people going through a lot worse crap than uh, most of us. So, you know what I mean? I try to, I, a, a lot of people, uh, I, I, you know, I help some people out with like their charity projects and they get, you know, oh, you're charitable. You're a good person. I'm like, that's BS. Like I, you know, it's, I do this for myself primarily. So I feel good about what I do in poker. And also I, I, I do it because like, I see like what other people are going through. And when I'm having a tough moment at the poker table, I go, you know, you can suck it up. Like you, you can, it, it, you'll be okay. Right. You know what I mean? Like you'll, You'll be fine, but like, you know, to be fair to the kids that, well, not not to be fair, I because they're to their to their parents, like, 
This is why I think like the worst thing you can do to your child is just make sure they grow up in the suburbs and just never see anything. Is like you you see some people coming into a soup kitchen or something like that, or like when I was a kid, like we had to go to like food banks and stuff like that, and you'd see some of the people that come in. Oh, sometimes you'd see like a guy come in and it was like, hey, I was at your house. I know you got cable and two cars. Why are you here in the food bank? But there, you'd also see people coming in who are like, you know, like legit destitute. You know, like mm-hmm. that, in you'd see, you'd see like guys with schizophrenia that like if they wanted to, they couldn't get a job. You know what I mean? And the sad thing, what? Uh, I mean, I remember just seeing guys that were, like, dressing in a suit every day because they were legitimately, like, going to job interviews, right? But they couldn't get a job because they were schizophrenic and they were going to start ranting about something halfway through the, you know, and you see that and you realize, you know, kind of luck of the draw, you know what I mean? That you, that yeah. didn't happen to you, you know? And then, you, yeah, it's like when you go down to 13X or something in a tournament, you go, you know, it's pretty cool I'm still in this tournament, you know? I, I mean, yeah, I had a lot of chips. And that, that's not, that's a lot easier said than done. It took me about nine years to get to that, <laughs> to get to that. You know what I mean? But you can't get to it at some point. That I, I remember, I got really short stacked in a tournament, at like a two point five k I cashed in Florida recently, and like I, I didn't care because I was like I was in Florida. You know what I mean? I was playing, I was playing poker with Nick Shulman, right? And like Nick Shulman was like one of my heroes as a kid, right? And then like. You know, like, like we weren't, like, chatting it up, but he was, like, telling stories at the table, and they were hilarious, and it was, like, a good time, you know what I mean? I was like, who gets to live like this, you know what I mean? This is pretty, this is pretty sweet, you know, and I, I like Florida, and, you know, it's a, yeah, but if you put it in that, it, I, I don't think anybody else would have had that attitude if they lost, like, a 50, 60 big mind stack or something like that, you know, deep in that tournament, I, I think it's a huge edge, you know what I mean? And maybe, it, maybe it comes from, like, a real simple, you know, simpleton country bumpkin way of thinking but you know it works yeah yeah uh okay last question for this week is from kevin first off thanks to you guys for doing this show every week i really look forward to listening to it in the car where i get peace to listen my question is about three bet and four bet stealing with air or perhaps even smaller pairs or weak aces but when i think i'm ahead of the razor's range basically what should I be analyzing when it comes to my three and four bet steel game? Peace. You should be analyzing how to shoot my dog. You can <laughs> if you tell me you guys could hear that. So I'm not. It's just just a little bit there in the background, but okay. it's not really loud. He's re- okay. I won't bring it up again. I had a friend of mine. He's a public speaker. He's like, you don't, you shouldn't bring this stuff up, right? I'm like, well, to me, it's loud as hell. I have my. My dog who never barks ever, like just decides like he, he's gonna he's gonna tell everybody in the neighborhood who the real top dog is, like right right in the middle of the episode. Alright, three betting and four betting with air. Um uh really overrated plays. Uh not done nearly as much. Uh, I went through my entire like W Coop uh hand histories. I found very few three bet pure three bet, four bet bluffs. Uh when I three bet typically uh, I, I do what I call a semi-bluff these days because generally people are not going to be folding your three bets. So I three bet to 2.5x just because uh, my uh, statistical analysis, my uh, equity calculations show that it's very difficult to call a 2.5x raise out of position and like turn a profit. So it, it generally I make it about 2.5x. Uh, the people when they... Uh, 
uh, and when I'm looking for guys that actually fold the three bet not that much, because if they uh, if they fold the three bets a lot, like I can do it with like an ace blocker or something. But a semi bluff means I'm going to take it to the flop. So I'm looking for a hand just below my flatting range. So like if nine eight suited is my flatting range, like maybe nine seven suited all three bet, nine six suited all three bet. And then I'm looking for someone who folds a lot on some street, either the flop, the turn, or the river. And uh, I'm trying to make sure I have enough chips in order to pummel that street. And I get a board readout where it's applicable. And, uh, yeah, I just three-bet, C-bet, take it. Three-bet, C-bet, take it. And uh, you also want to make sure that the person doesn't four-bet that much because if the person four-bets quite a bit, uh, obviously you're not going to get into this advantageous position on the flop. Now, as far as like pure three bet bluffing, I, I I think this is a, I think this is a play that's largely gone the way of the dodo. Uh, I I just don't think it, uh, I just don't think it works nearly as much. Uh, I was looking at my uh, equity calculations, and uh, I was looking at my like statistics. And recently, I've gotten my, uh, I've gotten my like big blind per hundred, uh, to negative uh, fourteen in the big blind. And uh, which means like 86% of the time, I'm not paying the big blind. Uh, and that's largely calling. I'm not really like three betting a ton from the big blind. And that used to be one of the spots you could three bet uh, the big blind quite a bit uh, was because you, there was no one else behind you. Uh, I still think you need to three bet the small blind a lot, but you got to assume that people are not going to be folding to you in the small blind just because you're in position. So then that leaves like the button. And uh, the button, like, you can do some pure three-bet bluffs, but it's a little harder with two people behind you uh, to act. So I, I, would, uh, uh, I, I would really recommend you don't do that much three-bet bluffing unless you see, like, a very severe, uh, like, just pure three-bet bluffing, unless you see a very severe fold to three-bet statistic or you see, like, a stack size where the guy really can't do much of anything it really occurs a lot of the time, like in short stack situations at the end of tournaments, you do need to become proficient with it because like with five or four people left, if there's one guy, it's really clear he wants to ladder up and like, he's like second in chips out of four. Uh, but he doesn't, you know, he has like a very disadvantageous chip position. You want to be three betting that person quite a bit, but it's not going to really come up nearly as much. This is one of those things that like people who don't really know a lot about poker make a big deal about, uh, because it's one of those plays that like looks really sick. I remember I three bet. There was a guy who had 24 X like at the final two tables of the first LAPT. And he'd opened every single time he was under the gun. I three bet with like do seven off on the button. And uh, the, the initial guy folded, but like, I'm pretty sure anybody could have made this same play because like of how tight that table was playing just before the final table. So I, I, I didn't really think it was much of anything, right? But, like, when people see, like, the three bet would do seven, it's like, if you don't know anything about the game, it's like, ooh, ah, you know? And uh, that, that was some guy saw my cards, and it, like, went around the crowd, like, what I had. And then, you, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, like, people make a big deal about it, but, like, really where the game is won is, like, taking people to flops, getting them to fold most of the time, uh, realizing that people are going to miss most of the time on the flop, three betting a size that they can't really flat and do anything about. And then, you know, they flat like this big three bet and then they hit the flop and they check raise and they, uh, 
you, you can see them look very self-satisfied. I mean, they're very satisfied with themselves uh, when they hit the pot. And they, they don't realize, like, a lot of times the second they call it the 2.5x, they cannot create a profit. Like, it, it's just not going to happen with a lot of the hands that people flat these days. So even when they win on you, you have to be able to sit there and go, okay, you know, that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you were losing. Uh, you, you don't want to declare it like some people do. Like, well, do, keep doing it that against me, buddy. Like, <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, it, it, there's a uh, – I, I think like uh, four-bet bluffing ha- is a little bit more applicable. Uh, you, you do want to do it with like ace-nothing uh, because that blocks the most five-betting ranges. I like that a lot more than like three-bet bluffing just because – it's a lot harder to flat a four bet, especially if you four bet like two point five x. Just just because generally what's going to happen is the person's going to need to five better fold, and with like ace nothing, it's uh, it's very unlikely they're going to five bet. Uh, uh, it, they're it's a little less unlikely that they're going to five bet because you're blocking twelve to fifteen percent of their combinations. So uh-huh. I, I will do that when the guy's ship position is really difficult like he can't flat but five betting is going to be pretty severe so yeah uh yeah i hope all that helps you okay and as i say that's all the time this week for questions um alex how can people get in touch with you as usual for more goodness twitchness and (laughs) Uh, if you guys want to write me about uh doing a private lesson uh, be sure to write me at assassinocoaching at gmail.com. Recognize it is me. You will be talking to me, uh, and not my assistant anymore. Uh, just, uh, yeah, uh, we we changed things up. When I respond to the emails, Barry, like, I get 3,000 more lessons. Like, there's so many people that are like, hey, man. They, say, they send in, like, you know, a breakdown of, like, where they're at in the poker game. And, like, my assistant will be, like, super polite coming back to them. But they're like, oh, Alex can't even answer me. Like, I, I don't want a lesson now. And it's, uh, so, yeah, it's me getting back to you guys. So forgive me if it takes me a couple days to get back to you. It just definitely uh, gets a little overwhelming with all the other stuff. But, yeah, you know, write me about whatever. You know, if you want deals on anything here, you know, write me, see. See what's up, uh, assassinocoaching@gmail.com. We got a bunch of different uh, lesson types right now. Uh, if you want to just do a pure hand history review, it's $150 for up to you and one other person. Uh, if you want to do three to five people, it's $200. Uh, for a database review, where I like go into like all the hands you played and see what you're doing wrong, um, it's $210. Those tend to run 75 minutes, uh, just about, and. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, uh, that can really help you patch up your leaks. I'll also provide uh, pretty much if there's a webinar you want, if you buy the $210 lessons, I'll try to hook you up with it. You know what I mean? Usually I give them out because I've made them specifically based on the most common leaks. And like it's much easier to assign you that as homework as opposed to having you come back for four hours. And then, you know, it, it doesn't work after the first one or something like that. Like, we, we can't, like, set it up. And then you get, like, a quarter of the lesson. It doesn't really help anything. So I just recorded it, and we can put that together. And then, uh, yeah, uh, also be sure to check out my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash theassassinato. And you can watch, uh, you know, just favorite that station. You'll get a notification every time we're streaming. Also, you should really subscribe to that if you do nothing else. 
Like, if you enjoy this podcast and you listen to it, like, every week, like, one of the ways you can help us is just to subscribe to that. Like, it's really a huge help. It's $5 a month. You can cancel any time. And if you want to see, like, how an actual, like, high-stakes empty tier operates, like, that's literally every hand I play online. Like, that'll be every MTT I play. You will, you will get to see it from start to finish. Now, the commentary kicks in usually around the final table. But then, yeah, there's analysis for, like, every hand at a final table. And you can watch me winning, like, $12 turbos and also fa- final tabling uh, the million, you know. So it's like uh, you, you do want to make sure you check that out because it, there's access to a lot of different videos. And also be sure to sign up for card runners, uh, get two months access to 2000 plus videos for just $30. I have a lot of videos coming out on that site coming up showing you guys like how to study, how to solve your own hands and uh, check out the hub, the main site, pokerheadrush.com uh, to see, you know, check out all the blogs, the trip reports, the strategy articles, the battle rap and all that stuff. Follow me on Twitter at the assassinato. And if you sign up for America's Card Room through our link, do not use a promo code or anything like that. Uh, we set it up so you don't need a promo code. You just got to sign up through our link. You'll get 27% right back. And then write me at assassinocoaching at gmail.com. Say you signed up. Uh, let me know what your uh, sign-in name is, what your, uh, what your uh, email address is. And then also tell me uh, uh, yeah, uh, what video you want. And if we confirm that you made a deposit, you will get a free copy of You Flat Too Much. That's a check raise fool dissecting the donk bet or why Pisagno is right. Uh, please pick one. It's not all of them. And then, uh, yeah, you know, uh, be sure to sign up for something. Click on something, man. It all helps. Uh, and follow me on Twitter and all that, man. Yeah, keep supporting. I really appreciate it, guys. And um, in case you thought we forgot, I'm sure you all wish me and John and Alex a happy Thanksgiving today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving <laughs> coming up. Yeah, don't forget it's, that. It, when is it, actually? Uh, I think I think it's thir- I think. Uh, oh, I think it I is today. Thanksgiving does not happen in Costa Rica, so I think we're doing it on, like, Saturday or something like that. Thank you for reminding me. i got to call my mother. But yeah, th- Thanksgiving's amazing. <laughs> Thanksgiving is amazing. I love to eat. Yeah. Um, okay, if you want questions uh, for Alex, send them in. Questions at oneouter.com on email or tweet them to at oneouter.com at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M or post them in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. Until the next episode... Uh, Thanks for listening, and cheers. Don't make us glass you. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) Cheers, bye. Cheers. (laughs) Make room at your Thanksgiving table this November because America's Card Room is coming over. And we're bringing over $2.5 million guaranteed. From November 27th to December 6th, you'll find 76 killer events spread out over 10 days with buy-ins as low as 27 cents. And the best part? OSS5 has over $2.5 million in prize pools, including the $1 million guaranteed Million Dollar Sunday Tournament. You'll find satellites feeding into every single event, including the $1 million tourney, only at America's Card Room.